powerful video. You know, I was just thinking over the uh, last few weeks, we've been in a series entitled uh, Generations, and we're preparing for our 130th church anniversary. And uh, I was thinking about our theme verse, and it says, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so if a church is going to bring glory and honor to the God we just sang about, then it has to make sure that we don't forget its main purpose. I mean, the primary mission of the church is to share the gospel. That is the main reason for the church being left on this earth. And so when we talk about sharing the gospel, we often use a word called evangelism. You've heard that word before. But evangelism is an English word that comes from a Greek word that was a compound word. And in the Greek, it has two words. And one of those words means the good news. And the other one means angel. You see angel in evangelism, don't you? Well, the the word angel means a messenger. God has sent us as his messenger to share the good news. That's what we do. Do you know why God has sent you and me to share the good news of the gospel to the world? And not angels? Because no angel can sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound to save the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. No angel can sing the song of redemption. Only we can who've been redeemed. So God sends the redeemed to be his messengers to the world. And so God has sent us to share the good news of the gospel. Do you know what the, you know, the gospel by definition means good news? Do you know what the good news of the gospel is? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.3, he said the gospel is this. That Christ died according to the Scripture. That He was buried. And then on the third day He rose according to the Scripture. That is the Gospel. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is the good news. Do you know why Jesus left His church on this earth? I mean, the moment we get saved, why doesn't Jesus just take us to heaven? Why does He leave us here on this earth? You know, when you get to heaven... You'll be able to fellowship in heaven. Did you know that? You will. And when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to worship in heaven. But when you get to heaven, you'll never witness to another lost person. You will never evangelize another lost person. The reason that Jesus has left us on this earth is to reach the world with the good news of the gospel. When I think about our church covenant and our core values, and I've been kind of looking at those the the last few weeks, our core values and our church covenant, they emphasize the mandate to share the gospel. In our core values, it says this, we value sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and around the world. And then I think about our church covenant. Our church covenant says this, we commit to engage our culture with the redeeming truths of the gospel, which includes things like the sanctity of human life and the biblical model of marriage between one man and one woman. Now we have a mandate in our church covenant. We have a mandate in our core values to be on mission to share the gospel. But you know a greater mandate than that is the mandate that we get from Jesus. I'm going to give you four or five verses right out of the Gospels. All four Gospels talk about the mission that God has sent us on. Let me give those to you. You can write them down. Look them up later. But in Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. 
But he who does not believe will be condemned. That's the gospel. Mark 16, 15. Luke 24, 47. Jesus said repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I think about John 20, 21. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We are on mission. Then I think about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You don't know this verse as well as I do. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see the mission that God sent us on. But then I want to give you one more. And it was just on a video. Matthew 28. But I want to read the, read the verse before it. Matthew 28, 18 says this. Jesus said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nation, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In Matthew 28, 18, we see that Jesus has all authority on, in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the King. Do you believe Jesus is King this morning? We just... That was low. Gosh, do you believe Jesus is King? Maybe you don't. He is King Jesus. We just sang about it. Yes, Jesus, you are my King. Is He your King? Jesus is King. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have all authority. And Jesus has given us a mandate to share the gospel to the world. You know, but I believe that we've been kind of derelict in our duty. We've not really been doing exactly what Jesus has called us to. He's given us a mandate. We said He is King. He has all authority. And if we do not obey the King, what is that? He is King Jesus and He's given us a mandate. But I believe that we've put a leash on the Gospel in the church. I mean, I don't think that Christians are sharing the good news of the Gospel like we should. And maybe we are. Maybe I just don't know it. But you know, I read a lot of things over the last few weeks and one of the things I read is that most Christians won't share the gospel one time in their lives. Do you know that many Christians won't even invite somebody to church? And I want to ask you, and maybe you can answer this, and maybe it was this week, but when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When is the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you shared the good news? To, be, to disobey the king's mandate is to really commit treason against King Jesus. That's what we're doing. But you know, I was thinking about how an elephant trainer used to train elephants back when they used to do those things. And they would take an elephant, a baby elephant, and they would take it out of its cage. And then they would put a leash on that baby elephant and they would tie it to a stake. And that elephant could only walk a, a step or two and then it would realize I'm, I'm on a leash and it couldn't go any further. And they did that day after day after day. And then one day they would take that baby elephant out of the cage and they'd put the leash on that baby elephant. They wouldn't even tie it to the stake. And the elephant would not move. It would just stand there thinking, I've got this leash on. I can't go any further than this. And as that elephant grew, it never would move. It would just stay there because it felt that leash. The elephant did not realize it had the power to go wherever it wanted. And even if it had been staked down, that elephant had enough power to pull that stake up and walk wherever it wanted. You know, I just don't realize, I don't think we realize how much power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I don't think that we realize how much power is in our witness. And I can tell you this, the devil does not want you to realize the power of the gospel. He wants you to keep it silent. But there's power in the gospel. And so this morning, I want you and me to come to a point where we unleash the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 for a moment, and we're going to see how the apostle uh, Peter and John unleashed the gospel. And we need to be doing the same thing. If we're going to be a church that endures from generation to generation, we need to unleash the power of the gospel. Now today is a very simple message. And you might think, well, Jamie, this is just a simple message. But you know, we make things so much more complicated than they really are most of the time, don't we? It's really a lot more simplistic than we really make it. And so we have a simple message. But it's a powerful message if we will put it into practice. And look at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple this particular day and they went there with a purpose. They were on mission. They weren't looking for an opportunity to share the gospel. So point number one is that we need to pursue opportunities. We need to pursue opportunities to share the gospel. And Peter and John went to the temple and when they got there, there was a a, a gate and the gate was called the beautiful gate. And at that gate was a, a man who was lame. He'd been lame for about 40 years. And so every day, somebody had to pick that man up, take him to that gate, and he would sit there all day, and he would ask for money all day long. That's what his routine was every day. Until one day, Peter and John came by. Peter saw that man, and Peter looked at him and said, look at us. In verse 5, it says this. Or excuse me, verse 6. Well, verse 5. So he, the lame man, gave them, Peter and John, his full attention expecting to receive something from them. You know what he was expecting to receive, right? He wanted to receive what? Money. Isn't that how we try to solve most of our problems? By money? But you know, we don't have a a money problem in America. Would you agree with that? We have a moral problem in America. Could you agree with me on that? And you know that money cannot fix a moral problem. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can fix a moral problem that we face in this land. And there's some things that money just can't fix, and money cannot save a lost soul. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. What does he have? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and he entered the temple with them. He was walking, he was leaping, he was praising God. Can't you imagine what that would have looked like? And all the people saw him walking around and they got enamored. And so Peter and John went to the temple that day looking for an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. And they got the opportunity they were looking for. Because all these people were now enamored by what had just taken place. And let me just say this, you and I have an opportunity to share the life-changing, healing gospel of Christ. Thank you, John Henry. I need about ten more John Henrys. We have the opportunity to share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus looked for opportunities to share the gospel? You know, one day Jesus was coming through a Samaria, and he saw a woman at the well, and he sat down and he talked with that lady. And he began to talk to her about her sin problem. And he shared with her the good news of how he could forgive her of her sin. And she she was so uh, 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 overcome by it that she trusted him, and she went and told everybody she knew about Jesus. You remember that story? But you know, there's another time that Jesus looked for an opportunity to share the gospel. And you might not even remember it at first. But one day, Jesus was hanging on a cross. And he looked for an opportunity to share the gospel 
with a man hanging beside him. Jesus looked for opportunities for the la- up to the last moment. We need to be pursuing opportunities. I think about the Apostle Paul. He pursued opportunities to share the gospel, didn't he? I remember one day he was in, I mean, in Athens, Greece. He was waiting on his colleagues because he had to run there because they were trying to kill him. And so he was in Athens, Greece, and he's waiting on all of his colleagues to get there. And while he's there, he notices that, hey, all these people in Athens, they're very religious people. They worship a lot of gods. And he began to realize that they're worshiping idols and not the true God. And it just, it just burned in his heart. He needed to share the gospel with them. And so he looked for an opportunity, and he went to a place called the Mars Hill, the Areopagus. Not too many years ago, we stood on the very same hill that the Apostle Paul stood on when he talked to the Athenian philosophers. And he shared the gospel with them on Mars Hill. He looked for an opportunity. And I'll just say, in Acts chapter 17, he got three responses. You ought to go back and read it. Powerful story. He got three responses. The same three you'll get. Number one, the Bible says that some people mocked him because of the things that he shared. Some people are going to mock you when you share the gospel. You know, the, the second thing that they did was that some people wanted to know more about it. They were interested, and so they wanted to know more. And then there's a third group of people, the Bible says, that they believed. And when you share the gospel, some people are going to mock, some people are going to want to know more, and some people will believe the power of the gospel. They were looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are you looking for opportunities? Connect group leader, are you looking for opportunities to share the good news? Deacons, are you looking for an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel? Let me remind you, in Acts chapter uh, 6, we had seven deacons. Did you know two of those deacons were very opportunistic when it came to the gospel? Philip led a revival in Samaria. Philip also led an Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ. That was a deacon. Did you know that there's another man by the name of Stephen who went and preached to all these religious leaders? He preached the gospel to them. This was a deacon. Not a pastor, he's a deacon. Let me ask you, church member, are you looking for opportunities to share the good news? Some of you have heard of Howard Hendricks. I've read some of his books. I used to study a lot of things that he'd written. Howard Hendricks was a Seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for about 50 years. Brilliant expositor of the Word of God. Now you might not recognize the name Howard Hendricks, but I bet you know some of the people he taught and the people he mentored. Let me give you some of those names. Chuck Swindoll. Tony Evans. Robert Jeffries. Chip Ingram. David Jeremiah. Howard Hendricks told a story about a man by the name of Walt. Walt had a sixth grade education. One day he got saved and he wanted wanted to do something for the Lord. He wanted to teach a a Sunday school class with his sixth grade education. So he went to the church. He said, I'd love to teach a Sunday school class. And they said, well, you know what? We don't really have a class open right now. And, you know, teaching might not be your gift. He said, well, I'd like to give it a try. And they said, well, okay, Walt, we'll... Room and you just kind of start your class from scratch. You, you start a new class. And Walt took that on. So Walt decided to look for people that he could bring to his class. And one day he was walking through his community and he saw a little boy playing marbles. And he got down beside that boy in that dirt and he played marbles with him. And after he got done, he said, would you like to come to my Sunday school class on Sunday morning? And that little boy named Howard said, if you can play marbles with me in the dirt, I can go to your Sunday school class. And Howard Hendricks said, you know, I don't remember one thing that man taught, but I will tell you what I do remember. 
how he poured the love of Jesus into those boys in his class. He had 13 boys in his class. 11 of them became full-time ministers. Two became pastors. Four became, or actually two became seminary presidents. Four became pastors and six were missionaries. 11 out of 13 from a man with a sixth grade education. He looked for an opportunity. Are you looking for opportunities to change the world for Christ? Now you can't reach everybody, but you can reach somebody. If we're going to unleash the gospel, we need to pursue opportunities. If we're going to unleash the gospel, we need to point to Jesus. You know, I like what Peter did here. Peter didn't take credit for this man's healing, did he? He didn't. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, I mean, can you imagine? He just wanted to hold on to them. They'd just given him something nobody else could give him. And all these people ran together to them on the porch, which was called Solomon's porch. And they were all greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he recognized, okay, wait a minute. They are giving me too much attention. He responded. He said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or our own godliness we made this man walk? He said, the God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. In His name, through faith in His name, this man has been made strong. Now everybody knew a miracle had taken place and they wanted to give credit to Peter and John, but they didn't take the credit. They gave credit where credit was due. Jesus is the one who healed this man. Peter pointed people to Jesus. Now somebody might look at you one day and they might think, you know, something's different about you. I mean, you don't act like the rest of the world. You don't talk like the rest of the world. You're different. What makes you so different? How do you respond to that question? Do you say, well, you know, it's, it's my intellect. That's, that's, that's how I've gotten to where I'm at. Or do you say, well, you know, uh, it's my discipline. That's why I'm where I'm at spiritually. It's my discipline. Or, or do you say, you know, I just pulled myself up by my own moral bootstraps. Is that what you say? No, we say I am what I am by the grace of God. I want you to turn over to Acts 4 or 5 for a minute. Just a couple of pages over. Peter and John got arrested because they were preaching about the resurrection they were drawing a crowd because of this miracle that had taken place. And so they were brought before all these religious elites. And I want you to realize who all the, really the high-ranking the high elite people were on this particular day. It was the very next day. They brought, they brought the Peter and John and they put them in the midst of all these people. Look who was there in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, and the scribes were all gathered together. And then it says in verse 6, And Annas the high priest, Caiaphas was there, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest. They were all gathered together there in Jerusalem. Everybody who thought they were somebody were all gathered there together, and they put Peter and John right in the middle of them. Can you imagine how intimidating this might have been for a couple of fishermen? And the Bible says, they put them right there in front of all these men. And Peter and John are standing in front of the very same people who orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. Do you think there was any intimidation there? And they asked this question in verse 7. 
By what power or by what name have you done this? They were talking about this miracle. What, what, by what power did you do this miracle? I think whenever they asked that question, I think Peter's mind went back to just a few days earlier when Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you want to know what authority? That's what authority you go in is the authority of Christ. And so maybe he was reflecting on that. And then in verse 8 it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Did you see what Peter just did? He pointed people to Christ. See, he punctuated uh, really their sin, really, in in that essence. He was calling them out for their sin. He was unleashing the gospel. There's no under, another name under heaven by which man can be saved but Christ and Christ alone. So he pointed it out. I like what, what the Bible says here. When I start thinking about who can save us, only Christ and Christ alone. If you are here today and you are a follower of Christ and you are alive in Christ, it's only because he made you alive in Christ. Only by God's grace are you saved. Only by God's grace in your life are you saved. Every one of us were born spiritually dead. And until somebody shared the life-changing gospel of Christ, we were dead men. But the moment somebody shared the gospel and you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that he made you alive in Christ. Colossians 2.13 says this, And you, being dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made us alive together with him having forgiven you all, the tre- all your trespasses. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know, I like what, the way one person said it. I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to get bread. That's what we are. We point people to Jesus. And let me give you another one. We need to unleash the gospel. We need to pursue opportunities. We need to point to Christ. And we need to, really, we need to punctuate sin. I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to call out everybody's sin. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't be saved until you realize you're a sinner. You know, John Henry's been on over 40 mission trips. You know what John Henry says sometimes? He said, you know, today people don't even think they're sinners anymore. And so we need to punctuate sin so people can recognize that we are all sinners. And that's exactly what Peter did in Acts chapter 3, verse 13. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... The God of our fathers glorified his servant, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Peace or Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses. Do you see what, you see what Peter did? He called out their sin, he called them out, he wasn't bashful. He was very bold in calling their sin out. Peter punctuated their sin. He called them out. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that we're supposed to be self-righteous, because we're not. We're not to be holier than thou, because we're not. We're not to be elitist, because we're not. 
Peter wasn't being arrogant. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was calling them out. He was calling their sin out. He was accentuating the fact that we are all sinners. Let me give you an example. Why do we need to punctuate sin? Let's just think for a moment. Let's say that Mike comes up here in just a moment. And Mike just punches me right in the face. I hope he doesn't do that because that would hurt. But let's just say he did. And let's say a few minutes later, Debbie walks up to Mike and says, Mike, you really shouldn't hit Pastor Jamie like that. But I want you to know I forgive you. And Mike might say, well, you know, Debbie, I thank you for forgiving me, but you don't need to because I've already forgiven myself. Is that how forgiveness works? No. Only the victim of sin can be the forgiver of sin. JB can't forgive Mike. Mike can't forgive Mike. The only person who could forgive Mike would be me in that situation. But do you realize that every time you sin, the one you offend is God? All of our sin is against God, first and foremost. Do you remember King David whenever he committed adultery with Bathsheba? And you remember that whole scenario. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he, he, he plotted to have her husband Uriah killed. And, he, and she was pregnant. He was trying to cover all that up. And then one day the prophet Nathan came to David. And Nathan put his bony finger in David's face and he called his sin out. And he called him by name. Do you remember what David's response was? A murderer, an adulterer. You know what he said? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now he had sinned against Uriah. He, he, his adultery was against Uriah. His murder was against Uriah. But ultimately, all of his sin was against God. That's why we stand in judgment today, because we have sinned against the Holy God. And we stand in, 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 in really in the path of His wrath. And only Jesus can forgive sin. So, if we're going to unleash the gospel, we need to pursue opportunities. You have opportunities every day. You have opportunities at work. You're going to have opportunities at the rec field. You're going to have opportunities in your home with your children and your grandchildren. You need to pursue opportunities. You need to point people to Christ. You need to punctuate sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we don't really need to look at that verse. We already know that, don't we? You know how we know that? Because we've all felt the guilt of sin, haven't we? But you know what we do? We try to excuse it. We try to suppress it. We try to to ignore it. We try to blame it on society. We try to blame it on, on religion as the reason why we feel guilty. But the reality is we all have felt the shame of guilt for our sin. We need to highlight the reality that we're all sinners. But if we're going to unleash the gospel, we need to present the gospel. There's only one thing that has the power to save, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus is the only hope for your family? Do you believe that Jesus is the only hope for your friends? Do you believe that Jesus is the only hope for our nation? If we believe that, then we must present the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, there was a lame man. The only hope he had was Jesus. And there's so many spiritually lame and maimed and wounded people around us that need the gospel. Look at Acts 3.15 for a moment. Peter said to those listening to him, he said, you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead and we are witnesses. 
Did you see the gospel there? You killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. That is the gospel, isn't it? And we're witnesses. He was given the gospel. He said, and we're witnesses. Now, God hasn't called us to prosecute sin. He's called us to be His witnesses. That's what we are. We're God's witnesses. He's called you to present the gospel. Do you know what a witness does? A witness is not the judge. A witness is not the jury. A witness is not the prosecutor. A witness is not the defense attorney. The witness is called just to give an account of what they've seen and what they've heard. That's what a witness does. But do you know why I think some people never share the gospel? Do you, do you know why I think some people never witness? Because they've never seen anything. And they've never heard anything. They've never had a life change. You know, a number of years ago, I was in an area where a crime was committed. I didn't commit the crime. But I was in the area. I was nearby when it happened. Well, the prosecutor found out I was near that scene, and so they called me up and said, hey, I want you to testify. I said, well, you can call me to testify. I said, I was in the area, but I didn't see it. I didn't see what happened. And so the prosecutor said, well, I really can't use you because you didn't see it. Well, a few days later, the defense attorney called me. He said, I'm going to subpoena you to testify. I said, well, you can. I said, but I can tell you right now what I saw. I saw nothing. I was in the area, but I didn't see it happen. And so it was all after the fact. And he realized, well, I really can't use you. You know why? Because you cannot be a witness to something you haven't seen. And if you're going to be a witness to what Christ has done in your life, you need to have seen it and heard it. I think that gives us more passion, doesn't it? We need to present the gospel. Peter and John were witnesses. Think about in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Peter and John were told by all these religious leaders, we don't want you to ever speak about the resurrection ever again. You know what, the, you know what Peter and John said to these religious, this, this group of religious leaders? They said in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Do you think if you had witnessed the resurrection and somebody told you don't talk about it, you wouldn't? If you had been there when it happened, do you think if somebody said, don't, don't talk about the resurrection anymore, would you just keep it to yourself? No, you couldn't help but speak the things that you have seen and heard. We are His witnesses. And when we've been changed by Jesus, and if Jesus is your first love, you can't help but talk about Him. You know, not too long ago, we were at the Southern Baptist Convention, and one of the sessions, Mark Rick was there. Some of y'all know Mark Rick. Mark Rick was the former head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. And so he was there, and, and um, his mentor was there, Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden uh, was his head coach. Mark Rick was the assistant coach at Florida State University when Bobby Bowden was there. Well, Mark Rick said he had a, a deep love for Bobby Bowden, and he told us why. He said while they were on staff together at Florida State, a tragedy took place with one of the players. One of the players was shot and killed. Bobby Bowden called his team together for a team meeting, and he told them what happened to their teammate, how their teammate was shot and killed. And he said, you know, I don't know where he is today. I don't know if he's in heaven or if he's in hell. But I want you to know where you can be. And so Bobby Bowden shared the gospel with the team that day and gave them an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Mark Rick was in that room and Mark Rick said, you know, he was talking to the college players, but I'm the one that needed the gospel. He said, and I went to his office and later said, coach, I need to be saved. And Bobby Bowden led Mark Rick 
to the Lord in his office. He shared the gospel. And so, we need to present the gospel. You might say, well, you know, I, I, can't, I can't teach a connect group. I, I can't do all those things. You might not can preach. You might not can lead a connect group. But you can find a way to share the gospel. And I want to give you one last thing, and we'll wrap this up. If we're going to unleash the gospel, we need to press for a decision. Now, I'm not talking about beating people over the head. I'm not talking about strong-arming people. I'm not talking about using pressure tactics. I'm just talking about giving people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. We need to give a response. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter said to those people listening, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter pressed them for a decision. Repent and be converted. Repent and be converted. Peter was pressing for an immediate decision. You know what that word repent means in the Greek? The actual Greek word is metanoia. I won't go into how I learned that word, but I'll do it one day. But metanoia, it means to have a change of mind. It means to have a change of mind that leads to a change in the way you live. Metanoia. Repent. Repentance means you change the way you think about sin. You turn from sin and you turn to Jesus. Repent means that you change the way you think about salvation. You start trusting in your own good works and realize that you're saved by grace. You begin to realize this. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. And repentance means that you change the way you think about salvation. Repentance means that you change what you live for. Instead of living for this world, you begin to live for Christ. Instead of living for the temporary, you begin to live for the eternal. That's what it means. And, and Peter said, you need to repent. And then he said, you need to be converted. That word convert means that it's an act of your own conscience. It's an act of your own will. You choose to follow Christ or reject Christ. Some people say, well, you know, salvation is kind of forced on you. But it's not. Have you ever seen anywhere in the... In, in Jesus' time on this earth, that he ever forced anybody to follow him? No. He gave them an opportunity to follow him. He pled with people to follow them, but he never made anybody follow them. He gave them a choice. And we have to choose to resist or, re or receive it, to reject it or, re or receive it. And if we're going to unleash the gospel, we need to pursue opportunities, we need to point to Jesus, we need to punctuate sin, and we need to present the gospel. And we need to press for a decision. I want to share one story in closing. One of the most well-known preachers in England during his day was a preacher by the name of Francis Dixon. Francis Dixon asked a man in his church one day, he was a pastor, he asked Peter to share his story, how he got saved. And so Peter said, well, you know, I was, uh, I was in the Royal Navy and uh, I was stationed in Sydney, Australia. And I was walking down the street one day. It's called George Street. And an older man came out and he said, uh, Son, can I talk with you for a minute? He said, I want to ask you a question. I hope this won't offend you. But if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Now, the Bible says it's going to either be in heaven or hell. Would you think about that, please? And then he gave Peter a gospel track. Peter said when he left Sydney... He said, I just couldn't get that question out of his mind. I want to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And so he realized he needed to find out more details. And so when he got back to England where he lived, he sought out a pastor and he found out how to be saved and he gave his life to Christ. 
Well, sometime later, Frank Dixon, who was that pastor, had a revival meeting. And he had a, a group of people working on this revival preparation team. And one of those men who were on that team, his name was Noel Stanton. Well, Noel shared with his team one night how he came to know Christ. He said, you know, I was uh, in the Royal Navy and I was stationed in Sydney, Australia. He said, one day I was walking down a street called George Street and this old white-haired man just approached me one day on the street. He said, can I talk to you for a moment? He said, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says heaven or hell, one of the two. Would you think about it, please? Noel Stanton said that question just rattled him and he made a decision to follow Christ. So uh, Francis Dixon was kind of enamored that two people had the same testimony. And one day he went to uh, speak in Australia on a tour from church to church. And he was speaking in a church service one night and Francis Dixon told the story of those two sailors. And he talked about the man who'd posed that question. And while he was telling that story, a man stood up in that church. He said, I, I had that same experience. I was walking down George Street and a man asked me the same question. And I gave my life to Christ that day. Well, Frank Dixon went to another city in Australia, and it's completely across the continent. And he was telling the story of those three men, how they had the very same experience on George Street. And after the service, a man came up to him and said, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus because of a man on George Street who asked me that question. Francis Dixon was later preaching at a Bible conference in northern England. And he told the story of these four men, and when he got finished... A man came up to Francis Dixon and he said, you know, that's my story. I'm a convert of that same man. I had the same experience on George Street. Later, Francis Dixon went to India and he was preaching to some missionaries who were working in India. He was telling the story of this man in Sydney, Australia, who met people on George Street and how he'd always ask them the question, you know, uh, where are you going to go when you die? I said, you know, the Bible says heaven or hell. One of the two. And when he told that story, one of the missionaries said, you know, I... I am a convert of that little man with white hair on George Street. Now, Francis Dixon thought, you know, I need to make one more trip. I need to make a trip to Australia. He decided he wanted to go to Sydney, Australia, because he wanted to meet the man on George Street. And so when he got to Sydney, Australia, he went to George Street, and he began to ask people, do you know this man who asked people if they're going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell? Do you know where that man might be? And somebody said, well, yeah, oh, I know him. That's Mr. Jenner. His name's Frank Jenner. We know him. He's feeble. He has Parkinson's disease. But yes, we know who he is. And so they led Francis Dixon to the home of a little old man named Frank Jenner. And Dr. Dixon told Frank Jenner about all the people he'd met along the way who were going to be in heaven because he shared the gospel, because he wanted to be a witness. And Frank Jenner just broke down. He, he said, it's the first time I heard that anybody was saved because of my witness. Frank Jenner unleashed the gospel and people across the globe are in heaven because of it. Let me ask you a question as we come to our invitation. Are you unleashing the gospel? Are you witnessing what Christ has done for you? Are you sharing the gospel? I'll just tell you this. I want you to pray that I will be more bold and I'll share the gospel more often. But I'm going to pray the same thing for you. But maybe this morning you need to come and say to King Jesus, I want to be more bold in sharing the gospel. I want to look for more opportunities. And maybe this morning you need to come and ask God to be more bold. And maybe this morning you say, you know, I've got somebody on my heart right now that I know I need to share 
the gospel with? Would you just come and say, God, prepare their heart and make me ready and give me an opportunity to share the gospel? Maybe that's how you need to respond. Or maybe this morning you're one of the ones who are sitting in the pews and maybe you've done it, but you, you've never had an experience with Christ, really. You sat in the pews, you've been all around it, you've been close by, but you haven't witnessed it for yourself. And maybe this morning you need to come and say, I surrender, I want to follow Christ. And maybe that's how you need to respond this morning. You might say, well, you know, I'm going to do that when I get older. Well, you don't know if you're going to get any older. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. Here, but just for a moment in time. Today is the day of salvation. Always has been, always will be. And maybe the day you need to come and, and make that decision. Or maybe you've already made a decision to follow Christ, but maybe you just haven't been baptized, and maybe you need to say, hey, God, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Christ. I want to identify with Him publicly. Maybe that's the way you need to respond. I don't know how God's leading you, but however He is, I want to encourage you to respond the way He leads you. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank you for the example of Peter and John being so bold to share the good news of the gospel. I thank you that people's lives were transformed because of it. But Lord, I realize that we've been given the same opportunity, the same gospel, the same life-changing gospel that Peter and John had. Would you give us boldness to share it as well? Would you give us the heartbeat to want to share it? Would you help us to see with your eyes so that we can see the opportunities that are before us every day? Lord, I pray you help us to be bold in sharing the good news. Lord, I pray you help us to be bold in inviting people to even come to church and hear your word. Now, Lord, maybe there's somebody here that just needs boldness to share the gospel with a friend, a family member, a co-worker, whatever the case may be, that maybe they've just been reluctant. You put it on their heart, but they just haven't stepped out. Would you give them the boldness to, to obey you? Give them an opportunity. Give them an open door to share the good news. Oh Lord, maybe there's somebody here that has never trusted you. Would you call them today? Help them to hear your voice. Lord, I know you don't force it, but Lord, I just pray you plead with them to respond to you today. Lord, you've demonstrated your love for us. We sing about it. We see it in your word. You've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Amazing love, how can it be that you would die for us? So, Lord, we just come to this time and we ask you to work in our hearts. Help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. To every question, the one solution.